Welcome into the local angle. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and we are creeping closer to the start of training camp, and we still do not have an answer on DeAndre Hopkins. It feels like that two-day visit that the Patriots and Bill Belichick had with Hopkins, it feels like two years ago. It feels like an eternity ago. So we do have a couple of updates this week, and there's one I find quite amusing, and there's one I find quite troubling. So let's start with the amusing portrait of this first, and that comes from Jeff Darlington from ESPN, of course, an NFL insider. He said this this week, quote, My understanding with the Bills is they love DeAndre Hopkins, and he'd be a great addition, but they're not going to pay him. If he wants to ring chase, there's a spot for him. Okay, so first of all, let me just start with this. Where did the Bills get this level of arrogance? Hey, DeAndre, if you want to play for nothing, the equivalent of getting like a veteran minimum in the NBA, well then, hey, come play for us. The Bills are trying to sell him on ring chasing? Did I miss something? The Bills lost 27-10 against the Bengals in the divisional round last year, right? They lost 42-36 to in that epic choke job two years ago in the divisional round. So back-to-back years, they haven't even been to the conference championship. They went to the conference championship in 2022, or excuse me, 2020, but they lost 38-24 to to the Kansas City Chiefs. So this core of players that the Bills are selling DeAndre Hopkins on ring chasing with, they've made the AFC title game once together. They haven't won anything. Heck, Rex Ryan and his Jets teams accomplished more in the back-to-back AFC title appearances, right? They made it to back-to-back AFC title games. The Bills haven't even done that. Ring chasers go to teams that win rings, like Durant went to the Warriors. Or like the Patriots, they were selling legit winning. This is why guys like Junior Seau, Chris Long, and Darrell Revis, those type of players came to the Patriots. Someone tell me what the Bills have done. The Patriots' promise was simple, right? Hey, you come here, there's a pretty good chance you're going to the AFC title game. Yeah, guys, we get there almost every year. From 01 to 2018, the Patriots played in 13 AFC title games, okay? So that's north of 72% of the time you are going to play in an AFC title game. And if you look at even the latter portion, when they got even more guys to come in on below market deals, think about it from this perspective. They made it to the AFC title game eight consecutive seasons. It was basically the Patriots Invitational, right? The Bills have made one with this core, and it seems like They're further away now from winning a championship. They've had a rocky offseason as it pertains to the Stephon Diggs drama. So I just find it funny that the Bills are acting like they're the Brady Patriots. If the Chiefs were doing this, fine. You can totally understand it. They've already won two rings with Mahomes and company. But the AFC right now is loaded. The Chiefs and the Bengals are both better than the Bills. And the Ravens are on the rise as they made some nice additions of the offseason. And Lamar got his contract, so you're not going to have that drama. And the Dolphins are a team on the rise, as we saw, as long as two uh, as long as two is healthy. And even the Jaguars, they made it to the playoffs last year with Trevor Lawrence. So I would not be shocked if Buffalo actually takes a step back next season. So I'm not worried about the Bills getting into the Hopkins mix because their pitch is not good. Hey, come ring chase, DeAndre, even though we don't win rings. So I just found that whole thing amusing with the Buffalo Bills this week, that they're trying to sell DeAndre Hopkins on. You can come here and win a ring based on what evidence. You don't really have any evidence if you're a Buffalo. But here's what I find troublesome. And this is from Mike Reese, the great Patriots beat reporter. This is from an article earlier this week. Quote, according to sources close to the situation, the Tennessee Titans and the Patriots have made offers. The Titans have been more aggressive to this point, and Hopkins hasn't been in a rush to sign. One reason for Hopkins to wait a bit longer is to leave open the possibility of another team entering the mix, potentially increasing his market. Okay, 
So why aren't the Patriots showing as much interest as the Tennessee Titans? This is annoying from my perspective. And here's the thing. The Patriots right now, they have the ability to flex their financial muscles, if you will, and just end this thing. So if you look at it via over the cap, right, which tracks salary cap space in the NFL, the Patriots have about 17.7 million. The Titans are at 8.3. So the Patriots could just overwhelm walk, uh, it could just basically overwhelm Hopkins with an offer that's better than Tennessee's. But clearly, they haven't because he's still deciding where he's going to go. So they haven't made that godfather offer, if you will. And I just don't really understand why. The young quarterback, Mac Jones, after a down season, he needs a legit weapon. Bill Belichick's decision last year to have Matt Patricia run the offense halted Mac's development last season. You have Bill O'Brien in the mix now to fix a huge problem, but why not go get Hopkins to fix the rest of your issues? The Patriots need a legitimate weapon. It makes everybody else sort of fit into place. Juju will thrive as the number two, like he did with Kelsey and Antonio Brown when he was in Pittsburgh. It just makes everybody's job easier, right? And if you look at it, I really like the Juju addition. He was 15th in yak per reception last year among qualified receivers and tight ends at 6.1 yards after the catch per reception. So he can create after the catch. That's something I really like with Mac because you want Mac to get the ball out quickly, right? As somebody that can't really improvise and extend plays with his legs. But that was as the number two guy behind Kelsey, right? Juju's three best seasons in terms of receiving yards per game. 65.5, his rookie year in 17. 89.1 in 18, his second season. And 58.3 yards per game last year. In all three of those seasons, he was the number two option behind Antonio Brown and Travis Kelsey. So if you want the best out of Juju Smith-Schuster, you get a number one receiver. That number one receiver is available right now in DeAndre Hopkins, right? So here's my thing. The Patriots, they feel the same way, if they do, I should say, feel the same way as me, that they need to add a legitimate number one weapon. And look, maybe they disagree with me, but I would disagree with them. But let's assume for the sake of this hypothetical that they do think they need a number one, right? And they're meeting with DeAndre Hopkins, so they must at least think for some reason they do. So if this is the case and you have more than double the cap space that the Titans have, why not just blow over DeAndre Hopkins with an offer? Give him more than Tennessee is offering, especially in that year one, to make it impossible for him to say no to the Patriots offer, right? Make him come here because you just offered him more than anybody else. And it isn't like a number one receiver is just going to fall in your lap anytime soon. This opportunity is there for you, right? And in an ideal world for DeAndre Hopkins himself, he has a bunch of premium contenders that are competing for his services. But the problem for Hopkins is this. Most of the contenders don't have the financial ability from a salary cap perspective, and some of them don't need a number one receiver. Like a team I mentioned earlier, the Bengals, they have Chase, they have Higgins, they don't need Hopkins. So you need to jump on this opportunity because not many other number one receivers become available. They rarely reach free agency, right? Ordinarily, what happens with these guys is they get extended. In the past, if you think about it from a Patriots angle, they could play hardball with guys, right? They even did it with their own guys, Edelman, Hightower, McCourty. Hey guys, go see what's out there and come back with the deal. Okay. And it usually worked for the Patriots because they were the Patriots and because they had that Brady guy. And it just seems like to me, if they're saying here, DeAndre, here's our best offer. See what else is out there. That's just not the way they should be operating in 2023. The Patriots have to sort of alter their free agent process. You're not the Brady Patriots. And look, you may still end up landing the guy. It may still happen. You may end up with DeAndre Hopkins. But why not just make life easier on yourself and just offer significantly more money than the Tennessee Titans? Don't let some big time receiver 
go down and training camp for another team, right? And then it opens up a spot for Hopkins. Don't let it get to the point where you haven't have him signed before training camp. The problem is Bill Belichick cannot operate as this is business as usual, right? <laughs> You're now just like everybody else in the NFL because you don't have Tom Brady. For you to land, guys, you have to make the best offer. That's just the reality you now live in, whether or not Belichick wants to accept that or not. And you can give me all this about, hey, if you pay a number one receiver, it's very difficult to build a team, right? If you're paying him all that money in terms of the percentage of the cap. Well, is paying A.J. Brown or Tyreek Hill or Stephon Diggs, are those deals not worth it? I just don't understand. This is now a position of the NFL that you really have to pay for. So I would argue it's actually more costly not to have big time receivers than to overpay the guys. That's the reality of the NFL right now. So let's run through what some young developing quarterbacks have gotten when they got a premium wide receiver. Let's start in the division with Josh Allen. So Josh Allen's second season, not great, 193.1 yards per game, 85.3 rating and a 58.8 completion percentage. The Bills then traded after that season for Stephon Diggs prior to Allen's third season. Sound familiar? Mac entering year three. The numbers, 284 yards per game. So he went up 90 yards per game. The rating jumped to 107.2, so up almost 22 points. The completion percentage was at 69.2%, so a jump of almost 10.5 percentage points. So certainly, Josh Allen, Brian Dabo, both those guys deserve the most credit. But having the Diggs guy kind of helped, didn't it? Just having that guy that was a legitimate, bona fide number one option. How about a team that just made the Super Bowl last year? The Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts, second year. 209, uh, 209.6 yards per game. Completed 61.3% of his passes and an 87.2 rating. So if you look at those numbers, you say, hey, pretty pedestrian. Now, we do know that he creates a lot with his legs, but pretty pedestrian numbers. Okay, and there were some real conversations last year. In Philadelphia, are we sure that Jalen Hurts is the long-term starter? But then, as Jalen Hurts is entering year three, again, does that sound familiar? Mac Jones entering year three. Who did they trade for? A.J. Brown, a guy that I actually wanted the Patriots to trade for at the time because he's an absolute stud. I still don't know why Tennessee traded him, and Tennessee looks pretty dumb right now because now they're trying to get Hopkins when they already had A.J. Brown, a younger receiver. But anyway, Hurts goes to 246.7 yards per game, so up 37 yards. More than 37 yards, I should say. He completed 66.5% of his passes, up more than five percentage points, and his passer rating went to 101.5, so up more than 14 points. And Hertz had such a good season that the Philadelphia Eagles gave him a five-year, $255 million contract extension. And yes, just like we talked with Allen, Hertz himself deserves a ton of credit for his improvement, and the bulk of the credit. But having A.J. Brown, that dude, it certainly helped out. And look, I'm not saying that DeAndre Hopkins guarantees a Jalen Hurts or a Josh Allen leap in year three like we saw with those guys, but it certainly gives Mac Jones his best chance to make a leap in his year three. So you fix your offensive coordinator position. I give the Patriots a ton of credit for that. And You had a really good draft. Adding a guy like Christian Gonzalez, that's massive for your defense going forward because it's the one thing you were missing, that shut down corner, and you hope he can be that in his rookie season, right? And the one other thing you need to figure out is the number one receiver, and this is sort of how you can properly evaluate Mac Jones is him with a legit offensive coordinator and a legit number one weapon. So 
I'm all in on DeAndre Hopkins. I just want the Patriots to be all in on DeAndre Hopkins. All right, a lot more coming up on the local angle. You'll hear from my buddy John Jastrzemski from New York, New York, Jason Goff from the Full Go in Chicago, and the guys from the Philly Special. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome back to the local angle. It's the Philly special. It's yours truly, Raheem Palmer, a.k.a. the Rostradamus. And we got my main man in the building. He's normally producing. He's normally hot and behind the scenes, making sure we all look good and sound good. It's my man, Clifford Augustine. What's good, man? Raheem, man, it's a pleasure to be on with, with the smartest dude probably on the Philly special. It's between me. It's between uh, you and Solek for the... For the smartest guy on Philly Special, so, I don't know no, who it is. Honestly, but. Solak got us all, man. That dude is a <laughs> wizard. Like, yeah. he looks like he's like 17 years old, but he's like the 17-year-old who, who got into Harvard or MIT earlier and skipped a couple <laughs> grades because right. I swear to God, he should be calling plays. Yo, ex- 100%. Solak is a G. So, you know what? Since the UPenn grad himself gave Solak that title, then, then I guess Solak... So, like, shout out to you, brother. We miss you, too. Uh, we'll get back once the Eagle season starts to kick off. But shout out to you, brother. We miss you, man. Yeah, so let's let's talk about the Philadelphia Phillies. We, don't, we haven't done too much baseball, but this Philadelphia Phillies team right now, they're 48 and 41, the third in the National League East. And they're coming off a, a pretty solid run. They're just a half game back for from the NL wildcard spot. What do you feel like the first half of the season for the Phillies? Like, what's your grade and your assessment on how this team has played? I think the Phillies probably get like a B minus for me because I feel like they started off really, really slow. And as you see, um, in the last 31 were, I'm sorry, if my math is correct, 30, yeah, 32 games or so. They're 23 and nine. So the Phillies, have, they've really picked it up since the uh, since about June 2nd-ish. And I think going into the second half, they needed that break because dudes like Schorber played every day. The pitching, obviously, we seen Aaron Nola's arm kind of, um, you know, falter out during games, giving up four runs and, you know, by like the fifth inning because he's pitched so much. Remember, deep playoff run last year and then going into this year, I think he's pitched the most innings in baseball as a starter. So, I mean, dudes needed a rest, man. And, and it's funny because the Phillies' best player, like, you know, playing this year is uh, Nick Castellanos. And he just went to the All-Star game and, then, you know, he helped the, he helped the NL you know, win the all-star game. So, um, yeah, these dudes needed a rest. But I feel like in the first half, it was it was a B minus because it was a slow start. But then they started p- picking it up, you know, towards the end. They got the best road record in baseball, I believe. And um, I think they could just – they if they can capitalize on that, which means on the back end, they played the most road games in the MLB. On the back end, they'll have the most home games in the MLB. So, 
you know, the sky's the limit. <laughs> once you get the, once you get the home cooking, especially when the bank is lit up and everybody's going crazy, like you know, there's no telling you know how how much of a run they can make. I don't think they're going to get the NL East because the Braves are just too good. But you know, I think they definitely can solidify themselves in a wild card spot for sure. You know, one of the things that I like that I I find encouraging going into the second half of the year is that the Phillies already played 51 road games before the All-Star break, which is like a franchise high set in 1973. And Mm -hmm. they've gone to the West Coast a number of times. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that you'll find is that on the second half of the year is that the Phillies don't leave the Eastern time zone again until September 1st. So that's a huge advantage. Now, the one thing that I, I, I have to admit, I'm a little concerned with is the rotation. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned that Aaron Nola hasn't been the same guy. Is there any trade targets that you want to see this team go after, whether it's pitching, whether it's hitting? Is it like what kind of moves should we be making right now? I actually I think the pitching has been like decent because um, I think when it comes down to the playoffs, right, you really only need like three starters to be good. Right. And I can rely on Nola. I can rely on Wheeler. And I think Taiwan Walker's been really good this year. Think about it. He's 10 and 3, you know, 4.02 ERA and 18 starts. Like, Taiwan's been super consistent this year. And I think I'd feel super comfortable with him going into the playoffs. Ranger Suarez, remember, another guy we had going into the playoffs last year. He's only 2 and 4, but he has a 3.77 ERA and 11 starts. So I don't think the starters are necessarily the problem. Um, I think it's more so of like the guys like Junior Marte and maybe hopefully Sir Anthony Dominguez comes back healthy and Jose Alvarado has been like up and down, but this Christopher Sanchez guy is pretty solid too. I mean, 2.84 ERA and five stars. And he's he's going to be got. starting the first game against the Padres um, right, coming right. up so, this week. So, so we get, we get, we get to see how he performs and like, you know, I mean, the Padres haven't been really good hitting, but they still have all the talent in the world. Right. Yeah. I I don't think the pitching is really a thing unless you want to get like a middle reliever or a guy, you know, to to eat up some innings to get the Kimbrel. I truthfully speaking, I just think the Nola thing scares me because of how many innings he's pitched these last couple of years. And people keep thinking it's like a contract thing that's on his mind. I really don't think the contract thing is eating up his mind because at the end of the day, he's going to get paid like Nola's, you know, He's shown that he's better than, you know, a lot of these pitchers in the MLB, whether you like it or not. Like, I get it. He gives up. He has those things where he gives up like four runs and whatnot. But we've seen him be great. So I don't think he's worrying about the dollar amount. I think it's just his arm just might be cooked because, like I said, deep playoff run, he's he's pitched 119 innings this year already. That's a ton. See, that's my thing. If, If we're talking about our number one guy and his arm might be cooked, I think that puts us in a position. I don't think it's cooked. I mean, that puts... Yeah, go maybe ahead. it's not cooked, but that puts yeah. us in a position to where we need another guy. And you, no. you know, there's some guys out there. Maybe you know a Lucas Giolito. There's a mm-hmm. you know a Jordan Montgomery. There, there's there's guys out there. So you have to wonder: Do we make another move for just another another starter? Right, and I I don't know what the price tag is going to be for another starter because you know how you know how it is at the trade deadline. A lot of people will end up asking for like half your farm system for a starter, and I don't think Dombrowski thinks it's that desperate. I think they kind of want to see how Nola looks for at least the next couple starts, and then they might figure it out from there. But I think the real trade deadline thing is whether you're going to get a corner outfielder or a corner infielder. That being, you know, to put. Schwarber back in the DH position, depending if Bryce Harper can go to first base like he says he can when, the you know, obviously when his arm is healed and coming off that Tommy John surgery. And I think first base suits him more rather than Schwarber being a corner outfielder. And then maybe you want to bring in Pache every day because that dude's been 
that dude's been super clutch. Has some super clutch moments for the Phillies this year. Like I like him a lot. I don't know if he's an everyday guy. He might be exposed for everyday guy. But mm-hmm. I like. I don't know, man. Like I feel like I'm just kind of confident in him when he goes up to the play. Like what he just did versus the Marlins in that first game of the last series where the Phillies ended up winning four three because he hit a late bomb, a late two run bomb, and uh, I, and he he feels really well too. Like I, I like his glove work. Obviously, we can't have Schwarber out if we. If the Phillies are a serious team, Schorber can't be out there every day in the outfield, nor can he play every single day. So yeah, he needs to get back. I, I totally agree yeah. with that. Yeah. And he needs to get back to DHing. Um, and I th- I think Bryce is probably gonna pull through and play first because remember, when you play first base, you don't necessarily have to throw the ball a lot. So it doesn't put your arm as at much risk. He just simply can't play outfield or any other position because obviously his arm is still healing from the Tommy John surgery. And he hasn't been I and I think he's a guy that needs to be like this is gonna sound weird, but like stimulated by like being in the field every day. You know what I mean? Like really yeah. being active and not just getting up for those four at bats and like having to swing away, having to warm up. I feel like he needs to like move his body and be active. And first base is super active, right? Like every ground ball goes to first base and and he can be lively and he can talk to whoever gets on base too. Like he just seems like a dude that just needs to be like actually on the field every single day. And that's what get that's what gets him ticking. I don't think this whole DH thing is his steez, and he has and it's shown he hasn't hit a home run in like 160 at bats or something like that. So he's struggling. Um, I think the power is going to come back. You know, obviously once his arm gets better, but mm-hmm. I'm really looking at that corner outfield position, depending on if Harper can come back and play first, and if Shorber can play DH, because then you will really look for an outfielder and then maybe a corner infielder. Because I don't think they think Sosa is really an every single day guy. I like mm-hmm. I like Sosa, but I'm not really high on him. You know what I mean? As far as like a hit, as far as hitting goes, so we'll see what happens with corner outfield and corner infield. Are there any trade targets in outfield? Do you like? I, I can kind of give you a list of names, like a, mm-hmm. a Cody Bellinger, a Lane yeah. Thomas from the Nationals, a Mark Cannon from the Nets, a um, Adam Duvall from the Red Sox, or a Tyler O'Neill, or any of those guys. Yeah, I, it's funny because I, I saw the Mets guys like being you know named in Phillies trade talks, and I'm like. How the hell is that going to work? Like, what are they going to act? What's the asking price for the guys on the Mets? You know what I'm saying? Or yeah. the Cody Bellingers of the world who you've seen be great. You've seen be a former league MVP, but obviously just just the one of the most precipitous drop-offs I've ever seen in baseball. You know, maybe he can bring that spark, you know, bring that spark back up to Philly. I think he's been playing somewhat decently. He doesn't play every single day with the Cubs, but I man, I don't know if I trust the Cody Bellinger. I don't know if there's a true outfielder target that I specifically like, but hey, you never know. Brandon Marsh was one of those guys, right? Like Brandon yeah. Marsh came over and that Scott King retreat and look at him now. He's I think he's batting like 300 right now. Um him and Bohm have been just such an absolute surprise for the Phillies this year. And uh, I love you know, Bohm. It's so funny. Last year we were talking about Bohm was like the story of the year where he's like, I hate playing here after an yeah, era. Yeah. And now yeah. it's like when I look at Bohm, it's like he's like truly one of the bright spots on this team. A hundred percent. Bone, bone. Like I said, it. I started tweeting about him last year. I said he was literally like my favorite Philly last year, just because like the dude just he just grinded and worked hard. And then after he was, you know, after because you know how Philly fans get, right? Like we yeah. we both from Philly. Like we know how we all get. We know how sensitive we can get. And he said, I effing hate it. He literally said on the field, camera called him like you know mouth reading reading lips. He said, I effing hate it here. <laughs> like. And then he just he he owned it after the game, right? He owned it after the game. He said, "Look, man, like you know, I said what I said, and uh, you know, I'm a bounce back." And then he came through in the play. He came through 
for the Phillies in the playoffs in a couple different moments last year. And this year, he's just been an absolute dog. So I love Boehm. I, you know, I can't speak highly enough of him. Right now, he's batting 280. Uh, he has an OPS of 754, nine home runs, 57 RBIs, and he has 15 doubles this year. So shout out to, to Bohm, man. Like, that that's my dude right there. I, lo- I love Bohm and I love Stott. I think those two dudes stepping up this year, like, the Phillies would be really be, like, in serious trouble if those two didn't step up this year. Hit yeah. Them two and Nick Castellanos. So shout out to them two, man. They 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 really, especially Bohm, switching positions, too. So shout, mm-hmm. out, shout out to Bohm for doing that, too. So. Man, yeah, I, I love him. I can't, I can't even say enough good words about him, honestly. So, if you had to give out an MVP, it's probably Castellanos. Has to be because oh. I, I, I'll say this right. So last year, Nick Castellanos was absolutely bludgeoned by Philly fan base because he signed that big deal, right? Yeah, uh, rightfully so. He's a great player. You know, he's a great player, and he's proven that this year. But last year, he just his numbers literally at the end of last year are matching his current numbers for this season. So. Castellanos is already like up there with his home run numbers, already up there with his RBI numbers from last year. And the dude is just he 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 put his head down, right? He finally got comfortable. I don't know if it's that Ben Simmons house curse or whatever it was, but he finally got comfortable and then uh <laughs> he came back with a vengeance and then he made the all-star team. So Castellanos to me is like by far the best player on the Phillies this year. And on top of that, his glove in the outfield has been great. Like he cut off, he cuts off balls like exactly where they need to be. Last year he was sort of a mess too, even even in the field. So he cuts off balls exactly where they need to be. He, he you know he gets the ball in the infield where he needs to be. He runs the the right correct route to getting the baseball. So I, shout out to Nick, man. Like yeah, just, I, I, I love yeah. The, the biggest thing I love about Nick right now is that every time he hits a home run, something awful happens. Like I'm pretty sure you saw like the, yes, the situation yes. with Tom Brennan, Brennan, yeah, and, yeah, like and it's just like ones. <laughs> like every single time, like um, <laughs> and it's like the running joke on social media, and it just it's, yeah. it's absolutely hilarious. There's like five different scenarios where uh, where Nick's there, honestly there's like ten of them, and this is, this goes back to his, like his Reds days, his Tigers days, where like something serious is going to be talked about during the game, and then he'll just. Castellanos with a home run. And there's Nick Castellanos with a home run. Like, it's crazy how that happens to him every single time. But seriously, man, shout, shout out to Castellanos. Like, he's been the dude for the Phillies this year. Um, like, the hate last year was so loud, but the praise this year is so quiet, and I don't understand why. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's that's Philly for you, right? Like, that's how yeah. that's how the fans be, man. Like, there, there's never – the praise is never loud enough unless, like, you're the Philly guy, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. So, FanDuel Sportsbook, our sponsor at the Ringer, they're giving the six. They're giving the Phillies a sixty-four percent chance at going to the playoffs. Minus one eighty, yes. Mm-hmm. Plus one forty-two, no. Are you thinking we make the playoffs? What's our best case scenario for this season? What's our worst case scenario? I mean, that's basically like a pick 'em, right? That minus one eighty and a play. What was it? I wouldn't plus? say it's a pick 'em. A pick 'em <laughs> was like more so like minus one ten. One twenty. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Yeah. I, me personally, I think just with the amount of home games that they have coming up, there's no way in hell they don't make the playoffs. That's unless they, you know, completely just collapse. Per- personally, me personally, like I don't even think they really. If if they they need a trade in order to win the World Series, I think I think they need to make a move in order to win the World Series. Like I said, that's going to be dependent on a corner outfielder or a corner infielder. For me personally, I think the pitching is actually fine. I think you can you can go away, you can get away with Taiwan Walker and Zach Wheeler and Nola. During the like I said, during the playoffs is where all that really matters. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, I 100. Give, give me that all day. They definitely make the playoffs. I think. I think so. What do you, What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think we make the playoffs. I, I'm not really that crazy about Arizona, nor am I that crazy about Miami. I think we should be able to pass those teams. And yeah. then the one thing, I, I, I think Miami's super dangerous, though. You don't, you don't think so? I, I mean, they have a minus five point differential, so it feels like to me they're a little bit lucky. Now, obviously, you have a, a guy in, you have a guy in Luis Arias who's just yeah. basically almost hitting four hundred. He's at three eighty three. So, right. I mean, obviously that's scary. And they did beat us. Like they were like we were sixteen. We're sixteen and five in our last twenty one games. That, like right. that's like the first series we lost in like three weeks. Yeah, so I, I think that was just because it was really run out of gas. If I'm being honest, but I, the Marlins they they got some some guys over there, man. Like you got to think about the pitching too, right? Like I don't know as far as what their team ERA is, but you know they, they do have a Cy Young winner. He's not even playing that good this year. Which yeah, is, he's not which playing is, well at all. He not he's not playing well at all. But still, that's a Cy Young winner and Zardo. I kind of like him. He's pretty solid, three point two nine ERA. It is, like I said, it really a lot of that stuff really comes down to pitching, um, and they and, you know they got some hitters on that lineup too. Like don't sleep on you know Arias, like you just said, and De La Cruz, and and I don't know when Jazz Chisholm is coming. I, I like him, but he not he yeah. Jazz isn't all that great. But, but let's let's see what happens when he comes back. Like they got some dudes over there. So that is the local angle for the Philly special. I'm Raheem Farmer, Rostradamus. We got Clifford. Augustine in the building. Y'all know how it's going down. Check us next time on the Philly special, the local angle. Y'all know what it is. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Welcome on in to episode 265, I believe it is, of the Full Gold Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ringer, and of course, Spotify is the gang, and this is now the time where we do the local angle, right? You know, gotta hit them with some angles. I'm not gonna do the whole Drake thing. You know, I'm, I'm caught up from the Drake concert last week. I'm still singing Drake songs that obviously weren't meant for me to sing, but this is the local angle. Shout out to all our people over there at FanDuel TV. Uh, you can catch us Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays right here on the ringer and on spotify wherever you get your podcasts and of course fellas chris kyle tony you know in spirit tony by the way you know we, we're a four-man group tony by the way he hit us with the text message hey man i taught a class tonight uh i'm not gonna be able to not gonna be able to be on the on the pod with y'all tonight i don't know what that meant I, I taught a class you know like i've used a lot of things to get out of podding and to get out of work but taught a class was, was something that i didn't know i had and you really can't question it you know chris chris looked at the phone and said hey man teach the youth and i'm like eh, you know okay i wanted to hit him with the michael jordan meme you know, F them kids, but it is what it is, right? So the four-man crew that you have before you is what we roll with every single night uh, here on uh, the Full Go Podcast. So we are in the sports abyss, right? If you see the ESPYs on your television, you know there is nothing to talk about. The week 
after the all-star break or the all-star game is the sports abyss. This is where people are getting into trouble and it creates content. This is where things are happening scandal-wise and it creates content. Or you get yourself a good old-fashioned trade. And guess what, y'all? I'm about to get on my BS, right? Whether that be bull, you know what, or Bill Simmons. But I'm about to get on my BS because I have figured out a way to make sure that Damian Lillard gets to Miami and Portland gets what they want. And, of course, there's going to have a Chicago Bulls angle for y'all. So <clears throat> I... I think about when DeMar DeRozan landed on our shores after an offseason where he was left in a room of free agents that, you know, seemingly had a value but didn't find their landing spot. And we now come to find out that the Los Angeles Lakers made a very unwise decision and not, you know, kicking the tires on DeMar. And DeMar has gone over the last two years to be on the redemption campaign or the, you know, the... um the, the the I told you suckers campaign and he's he scored at a high rate and by the way Ryan Russillo you know from the jump when he said that this was the worst fit I felt like it spurred Demar on to, to do what Demar has done over the last couple of years but it's also landed the Bulls in the play-in section of the NBA's Eastern Conference playoffs and that's not where you want to be. And this will be the final year of DeMar DeRozan's contract. And of course, while we were taping this, it's the first day that he is eligible for a contract extension. Now, whatever happens over the next few days, weeks, or the duration of this offseason heading into training camp, I think can steer the Bulls organization in one direction or another. And especially with all the things that have come out about the powers that be telling our tourist Karnashovas and Mark Eversley, hey, got yourself into this position, going to give you every chance to get yourself out of it. It kind of leaves room for uh, interpretation. If I'm in that situation and I hear that from my bosses and my higher ups, I'm thinking, all right, I'm not about to set up for anybody else after they take this job. It's going to be some fertile proving ground with draft picks and prospects and developed talent. No, I'm going to keep taking my swings. But if, but if, it is the other way around where it's on the other side of the spectrum and you as our tourist kind of show us and Mark Eversley are allowed to work your way back into a winning situation by taking maybe a step backwards, but also a step forwards financially. You got to think about the Lonzo Ball situation. Will there be a wave and stress p- provision? Will there be a disabled player uh, exception? Uh, w- what's going to happen with him, right? He's got a player option still. And of course he is going to invoke that player option. It's not looking good with the kind of surgery that he had and the kind of knee cartilage repair or replacement uh, that he had. So we don't know anybody who's come back from that injury. So knowing that and knowing what the Bulls have not done in the offseason in this in adding a big splash free agent at that point guard position and who knows what the market would bear. But Javon Carter is a serviceable starter, a serviceable starter and a guy who's going to provide a different profile for them in terms of taking three pointers that maybe Patrick Beverly turned down last year at the end of that run after he was acquired. So the Bulls have to change their shot profile. They have to change their offensive profile profile and thank God for the trade machine because I jumped my mad. Well, I won't say jumped into it because it took me a little while. 
You know, y'all out there with the trade machine, I, I know y'all go crazy. I know y'all y'all mess around and, and become uh, de facto GMs or, you know, Monday morning GMs. But it took me a little while to figure this thing out. And if you look at it from the Portland standpoint, from the Miami standpoint, from the Bulls standpoint, this thing could not be more simple to me. If you're Miami and all you have is your eyes on Damian Lillard, which is seemingly what Pat Riley and Eric Spolster are trying to pull off, you can get them to... Trade Portland. I'm sorry, you can get Portland to trade DeMar for DeMar DeRozan and Alex Caruso and Josh Richardson. Now you ask yourself, what are the Bulls going to get back? Well, Kyle Lowry's $29 million one-year expiring contract, a guy who's been through the NBA wars, a guy who's won NBA championships, and a guy who can mentor young point guards such as Kobe White. And if you bring Ayo DeSumo back, who, you know, Ayo DeSumo, it, it it'll make sense in the long run, but the domino that everybody's waiting to fall is that Damian Lillard trade. And if anybody else is going to be um, involved in the, you know, the, the details of the minutia of a trade, guys are just still waiting to see what the market is going to bear. And I think Io DeSumo is one of those guys as well. But if Kyle Lowry's on a team and he's mentoring guys like Kobe White and some of the young guards on this squad, it can't hurt. Caleb Martin. A guy who's got, what, two years left on a deal is $6.8 million. He showed you what he was in the playoffs. He's an adequate defender, above adequate defender. I think a, a damn good playmaker. And also a dude who isn't scared to take a shot and hit a shot. And then you throw in Nikola Jovic and Highsmith, who I thought was, uh, you know, a, a decent energy guy, especially in the playoff run for the Miami Heat. And, of course, the Bulls love energy guys. I like Jalen Green and the dudes that have put, you know, so many – um highlight plays over the last couple of seasons because they have been depended on in real high leverage roles. I don't think Highsmith is a guy that's a far departure from a dude like Javante Green if you're moving forward. And of course, Miami Heat, they would get Damian Lillard. And then you pair him with Jimmy Butler and you move your, your way through the Eastern Conference. Will they win the East with that pairing? I, I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> what is Boston going to look like with Jason Tatum? What are they going to look like with Jalen Brown and now Chris Stapps Porzingis, who they extended? Right? Like, what are the Milwaukee Bucks going to look like? Will this be the last hurrah in a window that seems to be closing because of injuries around Giannis Antetokounmpo? And of course, the Philadelphia 76ers were still waiting to find out what James Harden's plans are going to be and how that team is going to look and what's going to be different about Joel Embiid, especially postseason Joel Embiid going forward. So the Miami Heat put themselves not only in Eastern Conference contention, which they made the NBA Finals out the East last year, but they put themselves in NBA Championship contention. And the Portland Trailblazers get a gritty defender in Alice Caruso, a glue guy who's going to teach the young dudes who aren't the stars, the building blocks, the pillars of that franchise going forward. This is how you find your way in the NBA. His nine and a half million dollars over the next two years fits comfortably under the cap for them. And then DeMar DeRozan, one year, $28.6 million dollars to provide mentorship, leadership, maybe some shots made, but most importantly, guiding guys like Scoot Henderson, guiding guys like Anthony Simons, guiding guys like Shaden Sharp. I mean, he did it in San Antonio for a couple of years. He's done it here with the Bulls these last couple of years. And if you're thinking to yourself, hey, are you in a hurry to get rid of DeMar DeRozan? I just think this team is capped with him. And you've seen what he could do. And also, he's a highly valuable, I think, commodity, especially with a contract that fits under $30 million for the mentoring role that he will have. And of course, as he goes on, he's 33, 34 years old now. The next time the Bulls are good, if he does move on, or if he does stay and you get resigned, when how are you capitalizing on that window, knowing that these last two years with premier 
DeMar DeRozan, you know, the before the right side of his body started to shut down a little bit this last past year. Like, how are you going to get better? And and will he get better with age? I mean, we we already st- starting to see some of these injuries. So, you know, in a in a, in a sports abyss kind of day, I solved three teams' problems just like that. The Bulls mess around and get themselves a veteran leader to mentor their young backcourt, a wing player that they need that's a 3 and D dude and Caleb Martin who isn't scared to take a shot. And most importantly for the Bulls franchise, you hand the ball to your max player and Zach Levine and have the game prove to him what he is and what he isn't in terms of the expectations being higher now and also some of the late game stuff having to be refined but not being able to do it on a nightly basis because DeMar DeRozan is your running mate. Chris... Now, I, I know this this trade was thrown together haphazardly in the sports abyss, like I just mentioned, but uh, the, the feelers out there in Portland, does it feel like Damian Lillard is going to move anytime soon? Because I know he's got four years left on that deal, and you know Scoot Henderson is looking like he's going to be the truth, and you got some really good young players there as well. Are, are people in the city ready to move on a little bit? They are ready to move on, I think. You know, they the fans have been through so much here in Portland when it comes to Damian Lillard. And mm. I think like for the last year, they've been sort of preparing for this moment and any of the sort of holdout stuff or like what he's going to do or like where he's going to go. Like, I think people are just kind of like, uh, they're just like waiting. Everybody's excited about Scoop. Everybody's excited about Shaden. They want that new thing to come in. It's, you know, with all that bling, you know, that bling during the draft, mm-hmm. people got really caught up in it, you know? So yeah. I think like, people are already on scoot in general and we're sort of like it's kind of like that brandon roy thing it's like hey brandon roy yeah. your thing. You. give us our moments you know we love you you're always going to be a blazer and i think that's sort of the general vibe with dame as well too um yeah i think people are ready to move on i love dame i'd love for him to stay but you already yeah. know he's not happy so whatever and all the word from the top is like they're thinking about they're gonna hold on to him until something good comes along and he could be there or he could not be you know it's like yeah hearing good things about like you know good deals coming in through like the raptors and stuff like that so uh you know i just want him to see him you know go somewhere and be cool be the heat go to the heat go whatever you gave us our moments man like we love you and you always be a yeah yeah i mean you can only only do what he's done with the surrounding cast uh to a certain level right and the guys hit that moment in their career where it's time to go win something and he's at that moment and also man scoop's got that it He's got that it, yeah. dog. Like he is, yes. he has been born and bred for these moments. Uh, the last two years has been training for this spotlight. And I think this jump shot's going to iron itself out. I think they're super talented and athletic with Shade and Sharp. I think that's a dude. Like we need an old school. All I do is dunk and move people around with my athleticism, dude. And I think he's the next one in line to do that vertically challenging people. And also, I mean, Anthony Simons is a cat who's going to mess around and get you 24 right. points a game. Like it's, it's not like they're going to be, you know, Scoot Henderson is going to be the dude who's relied upon for all the scoring. I think it's perfectly, I think it's perfectly in line for the Portland Trailblazers to be where they need to be in two or three years with the pillars that they have in place. Which is why, if they want to play hardball with Damian Lillard, go ahead. But at the same time, at some point, you got to move on and show these young dudes that they are the sole focus. You're welcome. 
NBA, you're welcome, Portland. You're welcome, Miami. And of course, you're welcome, Bulls. This is what happens in mid-July when you're sitting around watching the ESPYs and watching All-Star Game fall out and home run derby talk and all these other things and not worried about the Sox and the Cubs like you shouldn't be. You start jumping in that trade machine like I did. All right, y'all. Y'all can check us out every Sunday, every Tuesday, every Thursday right here on the Full Go Podcast. I'm Jason Goff. We're brought to you by The Ringer. Spotify is the gang. And you, this has been The Local this episode is brought to you by jiffy lube cars can be a big investment so it's important to take care of them i once got a car that i started out with twenty five thousand miles on i got it to over two hundred thousand miles because i took care of it you know how you take care of a car you take care of the maintenance the oil the brakes all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the local angle here on FanDuel TV. It's your buddy, J.J. John Jastrzemski, the host of New York, New York. And we have just returned from Seattle. The All-Star game is in the rearview mirror. And it really dawned on me and hit home to me a simple fact and a sad reality that you're seeing with the New York baseball teams. You got that tale crystal clear from a Yankee and a Met perspective. Ugly, ugly, ugly. To the point where the Yankees on Sunday fired their hitting coach. And we found that on Monday, they are going completely outside the box in trying to find themselves a new strategy, a new voice, a new message to somehow, some way, jumpstart this lineup. Getting Sean Casey out of the MLB network out of the broadcast booth, and now in the dugout wearing the stash with Aaron Boone, his old buddy from Cincinnati, and trying to fix the New York Yankee lineup. Tell you this, the approach, the style, the positivity, his approach when he was a hitter back in the day for a long period of time with the Reds and the Tigers and the Red Sox, just to name a few, if that's the sort of approach we're going to see with the New York Yankees in the final 75 games, that's a good thing. To me, the Yankees, they got nothing to lose here. Their lineup has been as bad as can be in the first half. The numbers indicate as such. When you're in the same conversation as the Detroit Tigers and the Kansas City Royals and the Oakland A's from a whole lot of statistical categories, that basically should tell you all you need to know. It has been 
in many ways, historically bad offensively for a team and an organization that's used to slugging, that's used to hitting and hitting at a high level. The approach has never been worse from a Yankee perspective. So, yeah, it's worth the shot. I'm glad it's a guy like Sean Casey as opposed to just taking somebody in the organization and, and promoting them. At least you're getting a new voice. We'll see if it makes a difference. We'll see if it can wake Anthony Rizzo up and John Carlos stand up and revive DJ LeMayu and Josh Donaldson. But I know this, it can't hurt. So I want to applaud the Yankees and their brass for thinking outside the box a little bit here. And for the first time in the Brian Cashman tenure, they go and dismiss a coach in the middle of the season, which is something they have never done. The Yankees have three with the Colorado Rockies right out of the gate. They have a stretch now over the next 12 where they don't play a team with a winning record. The best team you're going to play in that in that spate in that span is going to be the New York Mets. And we know, and we'll get to that in a moment, their issues and their problems. Yankees got to start winning some games. The season ended today. They're on the outside looking in. And if we're talking about the Yankees on the outside looking in, I think it opens the door to serious conversation regarding the future of Brian Cashman, the future of Aaron Boone, the future of a whole lot of people within the analytics and the scouting department where the Yankees are not getting results. So there's a whole lot at stake. There's a whole lot of line the next 75 games or so. And, you know, I saw the only report earlier on Thursday. If you want to entertain the idea that the Yankees are players for Shohei Otani, be my guest. I'm not delusional, okay? I'm not sipping that sort of Kool-Aid. This is not the sort of move that's going to happen because I haven't seen it from a Yankee perspective in forever where they put all their eggs in the basket and have basically sold the farm to go and get a particular player. It's just not how they operate anymore. So you're telling me they're going to do that for a rental of Shohei Otani, assuming the Angels number one are going to trade him. And then this is a guy, remember, who wanted no part in coming to New York in 2017 when the Yankees were head over heels for Otani. They couldn't wait to get Otani. And he basically was like, nah, not interested. I'm finding my way to the West Coast. So Yankee fans can dream. Met fans with Steve Cohen's wallet, they can dream in the offseason too. I don't see Shohei Otani in the Big Apple. I think Shohei Otani is going to stay out on the West Coast, whether that's with the Angels or the Dodgers or the Padres who have crazy money or even the Mariners. All the fans of Seattle were, were and come to Seattle trying to maybe uh, sway Shohei. It won't be here. I think the Yankees will be active. I think they'll look to upgrade their offense. It's not going to be with Shohei Otani. Now, Met perspective. The first half of the season was a dud. They missed a golden opportunity on Sunday to really have momentum going into the All-Star break. Scherzer gets lit up by the Padres again. It was like a carbon copy of what you saw in the Wild Card Series. And the Mets, well under 500, seven and a half games out of a Wild Card spot. Have to immediately hit the ground running right out of the gate against the Los Angeles Dodgers this weekend. And I know some are going to say, well, is that fair? It's one series. You don't want to get nuts about one series. They got like a 10-game audition. 
if I'm Steve Cohen and if I own the New York Mets, it's very simple. Show me now over the next 10 games why we should be active in trying to improve the roster. Show me why I should take more resources and more money and maybe more chips out of the minor league system and invest in this current team. Because from what you've seen so far this year, you have no reason to believe that. Underperformance from way too many guys in this lineup, even though if you look at the mid offense, it doesn't look as bad as the Yankee offense. But Stoney Marte hasn't been as good. Jeff McNeil has taken a major step back, and he needs to show up immediately in 2023. His golf game is where it needs to be. Jeff McNeil at the plate, not so much. Well under 200 in his last 30 games. Even Pete Alonso. You know, Pete Alonso was at the All-Star game, participated in all the festivities. The power numbers are good. Sitting to 10. The Mets need a lot more out of Pete Alonso. They started to get more out of Lindor, and Lindor had a really good stretch going into the All-Star break. But all hands on deck for the Mets. Go show me against the Dodgers that you're going to be in this thing. Then go and have a good end of July to the point where you're within four games. You're within five games. Setting yourselves up to go and make a run over the final two months of this year. But if you don't see it now, then I think you open up the door and you open up the possibilities to being a seller and kind of retooling and restocking and reassessing your franchise. Maybe at the end of July, get ready for next year and the following year and kind of reassessing where you're at when I think a whole lot of Mets fans thought going into the year this was a World Series caliber team and it's over a half of baseball. It's over 81 games. They have looked nothing close to that. So this is a big couple of days for New York baseball. Normally the dog days of summer are exactly that. Not for the Yankees and the Mets. They got to win games. It's pedal to the metal time if they're going to find themselves in the same position they were a year ago, which is in the postseason. Right now, the odds of that being the case in the second week of October, I'd give you right now, honestly, three to one, four to one, that both the Yankees and the Mets find their way to the playoffs. That might actually be too low, to be honest with you. That might be too low. FanDuel's going to have to come up with a boost for us on that. Yankees and the Mets to be in the playoffs. I mean, the Yankees are a small favorite to get in. The Mets are a sizable underdog to get in. What do we say, FanDuel? Four to one, five to one? I like the sound of it. Now, the other big story in town, as we start to ramp up and get closer to the start of the football season and training camps and all that good stuff, a season of a whole lot of hype and anticipation and excitement across the board. Well, the worst kept secret is now official. The New York Jets and Aaron Rodgers and Robert Sala, who was golfing with my buddy Beningo yesterday. I can't wait to get the detailed scouting report on that. Are going to be on hard knocks. And that's fantastic for us. And if I'm the Jets, I know the coaching staff didn't want it. I know they were hesitant. Embrace it. Remember, the last time the Jets were on hard knocks, 2010, I remember it well. They were fresh off a trip to the AFC title game. This was peak Rex Ryan. This was peak Mark Sanchez. And 
They backed it up. I mean, they made it all the way back to the AFC title game, did they not? Beat Peyton Manning, beat Tom Brady. I think any Jeff fan who's reasonable and is rational would sign for an appearance in an AFC title game tomorrow. How could you not? Jets haven't been in the playoffs since the last time they were on hard knocks. So maybe it comes full circle. I'd embrace it. And from a content standpoint, it's amazing for us. On New York, New York, you can tell there's a little extra glee and a little extra pep in my step. Thinking about each and every weekly episode and some of the nuggets and some of the interesting tidbits we might get along the way. So I'm stoked about that. You know what else Jet fans should be stoked about? You don't got to worry about a holdout dominating your conversation on Hard Knocks. The Jets go and pay Quinn Williams a ton of money. They make him one of the highest paid defensive linemen in the NFL. And I always felt you would reach this sort of conclusion. The Jets will win now. You're telling me they're going to want to go into this year without one of their best defensive players? They're going to find a way to get it done. And I know there are a lot of posturing and there's a lot of back and forth and there's a lot of uneasiness maybe between the Giants and Saquon Barkley at this point in time where people are wondering, oh, are the Giants holding out because he's a running back. Is Saquon holding out because he wants to get his. This will not be, remember I said this, a repeat of Le'Veon Bell. There's no chance in the world that's going to happen. Saquon Barkley will be a New York Giant and will be on the field week one against the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know when he reports. I don't know if he's there for the start of training camp. He will be ready to go by the start of the season. This is all part of the posturing and the negotiation. So my advice, Giant fans, take a page on what you just saw from the Jets and Joe Douglas and Quinn Williams. They got it done. The Giants and Barkley will ultimately find a way to get it done. And he will be on the field helping out our buddy Daniel Jones as soon as this season gets underway. So starting to plant the seed, get ready for football, hard knocks, the Jets. I don't think Robert Sal is going to be as entertaining as Rex Ryan, but still. Get your popcorn ready nonetheless. All right. Calls out of the gate. Then we'll have some fun with some of the guys we had at All-Star Week. All sorts of festivities. I'm still in a festive spirit for that matter. New York, New York here on the local angle. Hopefully I'll have better second half baseball to talk about as opposed to what I had to deal with this entire first half. We'll be back next week. We're coming right back. 